Hi there. Welcome to episode 38 of the Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I'm absolutely delighted that you're spending some of your time hanging out with me and my fabulous mystery guest on today's episode. Before we start our career chat, I would like to invite you to follow me on Instagram at PuddleJumpCoaching001. I love connecting with people there. And I want to give a special shout out to Sharon McKeel and her team at Bark Ottawa. It was Sharon who introduced my husband, Gary, and me to our magical dog, Lloyd, back on September 17th, 2005. We adopted him on the 21st, and it was the beginning of an incredible almost 13 years together. In fact, at the time of this podcast, Bark has two wonderful dogs available for adoption, Piper and Bella. Speaking of wonderful, I am so excited to welcome today's wonderful mystery guest, Rocky Edo. Welcome, Rocky Edo. It is so nice to have you on the playground with, with me, with us today. And as the listener knows, Whenever I welcome a fabulous mystery guest onto the playground, I always kind of put context into things. And so Rocky is a, as am I, a new person at World Skills, and we're in the same Empowering Newcomer Women program team. And he is, well, he's just fantastic. And you're going to see this. You're going to see this. And here's his LinkedIn information. So he says, I help organizations navigate change towards an enhanced customer experience, operations manager, business analyst, project manager, process improvement, and automation. And let me tell you, he is an information systems processes kind of guy. And I am really happy that he's on the team at World Skills. So glad to have you here, Rocky. Thanks, Tonya. I'm super, super excited to be here with you today. It's really amazing that I get to talk about myself. And I'm hoping, hoping, hoping to learn um, a little more about myself today. Well, and here's where we do. We talk about we talk about high school. So where did you grow up and what was high school like for you? Okay, so um, I grew up in Nigeria. Spent the first, I'll say the first Three decades of my life in Nigeria. High school, I went to high school in a place called Wari. Um, Wari is like one of the central center of the country. And it has this reputation for making you tough. So there's no way you'll say you grew up in Wari and, uh, and you won't be tough. It sort of just gives this impression like, oh, this person has gotten some tough skin and all of that. So I went to high school. Well, we would call it secondary school in Nigeria. I went to secondary school in Wari, the prestigious federal government college work. I was a boarder there. For me, I think it opened me to a whole new life, a whole new avalanche of experiences because it was more like the first time I was away from home. And mm-hmm. I was able to make new friends, meet new mm-hmm. people, grab new cultures and new experiences. I think it was an amazing experience. To a large extent, a lot of people say, oh, I can't send my kids to boarding school. 
But I think the boarding school experience gives you a totally different lease on life. It opens you up to a lot of things that you would normally be shielded from in the house or when Mm -hmm. you're going to school from home. And then it gives you a lease on life that says, you know, you're independent. You know, you can handle a lot of things on your own. And then you can begin to build a life and build what you expect from life at a tender age. Mm. And I, I completely understand what you're talking about because when I was in Singapore, there were borders at the school and there were also day kids and I was a day kid and okay. we got to do border exchanges. And so my friend Steph stayed with me in my house for a weekend and, okay. and I got to go to the boarding school, like the um, senior house and stay there for a couple of nights. And it really does change your perspective when you're in and amongst all of these young people and your parents just aren't there. Exactly, exactly. It sort of just um, gives you a totally different view from what you're used to. And I think um, the boarding school experience is um, underrated. And my question to you then is, you said that it was in worry that it made you tough. Did it? And how? If it did make you tough? Well, I would say to some extent, it gave me this thick skin to a lot of things. After high school, I went for a diploma course at first. Um, I realized a lot of the things I was already used to. A lot of the students my age who were being free for the first time Mm. didn't seem like anything to me. You see that useful exuberance in, in college at the first year where people feel, oh, now I can do how I please. I can go where I want. I can do whatever I want because there's really no one to look mm-hmm. out and say, oh, this might be right. This might be wrong. I think I already had all of that in bills from a younger age because of the boarding school experience. And did you grow up with any siblings? Like, were they at an, at the same school or a different school or, or were you an only child? Oh, okay. So um, being the first of five kids, I'll say, mm. um, okay, there's this um, running joke in my house where everybody keeps saying, oh, I was the child that my parents used in testing the waters for almost everything. <laughs> yeah. So I went to boarding school. None of my siblings went to boarding school. I was always coming home for holidays and all. Mm -hmm. Um, After me, my parents were like, no, no one else is going to the boarding school. So everybody else went to a day school. I would say the coming home then became more of something to look forward to. It became a really Mm -hmm. bonding moment because you had siblings you had not seen for about three months. Mm-hmm. And then when you come home, you really want to enjoy the time you spend to them and find out everything they have been up to, all the things you missed and all of that. So I think it helps myself and my siblings bond more. That's pretty cool. And do you know why your parents made the decision that the rest of the kids should be day students? Um, I wouldn't say I don't know. And I wouldn't say I am totally in the loop. It might have had something to do with the impression that, oh, because you're now in boarding school, you're a bit more stubborn or, or 
I still look at myself as one of those kids every anyone will be really glad to have because I wasn't a trouble troublesome mm-hmm. child or something. But hey, my parents might have had a different opinion. Well, I hear you about that too, my dear. And so, so there you were. You're in secondary school. Math and English weren't your favorites, and I know because we talked about it things today a little bit. But definitely what, not. <laughs> what did you like? What was your favorite course? Okay, so I would say my favorite course was history, mm. and it wasn't really because of the context of history, history itself. I think it was more to do with the teacher. Mm-hmm. So there's this teacher I had then for history that made going to class more like something you look forward to. Mm-hmm. There was this encompassing feeling. There was this feeling that made you understand that, yes, whatever this man was saying in front of the class was really just making sense to you. He sort of brought the subjects to life mm-hmm. and gave the subject extra life as he was teaching it. So from that point, I will say it's more of whoever is disseminating that information. It's not really about the subject itself. I think it's more it's more to do with who is disseminating that information. Okay. And yet, English and math, what if it was a really fantastic teacher disseminating that information? Would you still have disliked it? There was a point in life, I think, in my third year in the university, I had this particular course that was numbers-oriented. So for me, uh, mathematics, statistics, all of them are the same numbers-oriented or numbers. So I had a course in my 300 level that was numbers-oriented, and I knew I just couldn't feel it. So I think when we grow older, it becomes a situation of, your interest as against who is disseminating that information. Mm. So in my third year, I put in more interest into that particular course because I knew if I fail it the first time, I will fail it the second time and that might just end up preventing me from graduating from the university. So I put in that extra effort. I tried to take note of the things I, I thought I felt I was struggling with and amazingly, I enjoyed that class. In that situation, I wouldn't say it was totally because of the lecturer, but because I deliberately built an interest in that course. And I got an A in that course, by the way. So So I'm feeling then that adopting a growth mindset, because it sounds like you did, and reframing your perspective really helped, helped you reach that goal. Yes. A growth mindset and being able to understand that. I would go a little philosophical on this and say, understanding that there are certain challenges you would face that can't be resolved by someone else. You have to understand deep down within you that you are the one who will be able to identify what those challenges are and then um, decide how you want to approach that particular challenge. In that situation, I sort of had this retrospective view to say, if I had that mindset back in secondary school, who knows, I most likely might have been maybe a math genius now, but (laughs) the interest was not there in the first place and the mindset was not there. 
And I would also say the person that was disseminating that information did not sort of position in a way to pitch that interest to myself. Although I, I know some of my classmates back then were mass gurus. So somehow I, would, I wouldn't generally blame it on the person who was disseminating that information in, in retrospect now that I'm older. But uh, I think something more might have been done at that younger age, identifying that this particular person was not really interested in this world might have gone a long way. Kind of an intervention uh, yeah, exactly. Something okay. like that. Like. I hear you. So there you were. Did you know? I mean, you, you were interested in history. Did you know what you were going to study in university? And did, was it a given that you were going to university afterwards? Yeah, okay. Well, it was a given that I was going to university afterward. Did I know I was going to study in university? I think everybody at a younger age has this fantasy and these ideas of oh, what they want to be in the future. At that point, I wanted to study law, mostly because I had this perception that law didn't have anything to do with numbers. Little did I know that um, it had a lot to do with dates. When I went for my, my diploma, there was this course, um, labor law, mm-hmm. did a bit of labor law and a bit of business law. And when I saw the dates and all the quotations and all the things you have to memorize, Mm. It, it sort of cuts across to me to seem like one is just going to be repeating what has happened in the past. So mm-hmm. for me, at that, for me at that point, I looked at law as how do I call it now? You go and make cases based on what people have done in the past. It was no longer appealing after diploma. It was more of you go, you quote cases, you quote constitutions that have been set by other people. You basically do not have any control over it or something. So I sort of just pivoted away from it a bit. It sounds like there was a lot of growing and growth during this time for you, you know, to identify that, yeah, you know, the law is not the path that I want to take. Yeah, for me, I think, I think for me, there was a lot of growing, a lot of realization, a lot of coming to understand a lot of other things and it was more like being in a bubble and then someone put a pin in it to say, welcome to the real world. Not everything works the way you think about it in your head. So hmm. That's very true. Then what eventually did you take at university? My diploma was in industrial and labor relations. Hmm. And at that point, I wanted to either do industrial and labor relations or sociology. I ended up doing sociology because it was more of something to help you understand people. For a long time, I always had this belief that if you can understand people and get along well with people, it's basically going to help you grow and blossom. Because the moment you can understand people and sort of influence their decisions, it goes a long way for me. Mm. When I finished my first degree, I so there's this thing we do in Nigeria called um, a national service. Mm-hmm. So when I went for my national service, I was in this, there was this unit. The aim of the unit was to sort of 
change the perception people hold about their environment. So I was posted to the government house and the government was deliberately trying to change people's perception of their environment, trying to change the general perception to say, you can't expect to throw litter on the floor and expect the place to be clean. Mm. That's just an example. So what you serve to your environment is what comes back to you. So it was like something we were working on then. So from that, I was I sort of pivoted towards customer service, customer experience, customer management, mm. and wanting to say the customer in any business environment, the customer is the end product. The customer is why you are in business because, let's face it, if you don't have customers, then your business is as good as dead on arrival. Mm -hmm. So being able to manage those customers, being able to understand what those customers need and being able to influence their decisions to say, this is where you want to drive this drive a narrative to and how you intend to get that way with the customers goes a long way. So after the national service, my first job was as a customer service manager. And this happened at a time when organizations were beginning to switch towards a digital first approach. So I had a situation whereby I was sent to a branch where the immediate environment was not really tech savvy. Part of my major role was to encourage the people to key into the digital aspects of banking and also um, encourage them to make use of the basic tech services that the bank was offering. So was it the people that worked there that were not tech savvy or was it the customers or both? It was the customers, the customers. Okay. Okay. And how long were you there? I think I was there for about four or five years. That's a, that's a very long first job. Yes. Very, very long. And for me, I think I was, I think I got comfortable and decided to just stay back. And there was a lot of uncertainty certainty again at that period i would say looking back at it it wasn't something i should have done but it's the past and it's something i think i have to live with so well yes because that's that it is what it is right yeah exactly so then after that after your four to five years in this customer service manager business after that i went to um the next role i moved to was in a call center i was a team lead at the call center that in that role, I did a lot of process management. I did a lot of customer experience, identifying why customers behave certain way and identifying why they were complaining about different um, solutions and sort of aligning those solutions to better suit the customers well, ensuring the basics from the organization side were also covered. So. And how long were you at that role? For about two and a half years. And then I moved on to process efficiency. So process efficiency was more of reviewing processes generally, realigning those processes and making them work better, adding value and general. It was more of, this was a more general operations oriented role. So basically the idea was to 
improve processes, automate the ones that could be automated, ensure everything was running smooth. Now, for every process, you find out there are leakages. You want to identify how to plug those leakages, how to improve those processes, how to ensure they take less efforts. Customers are really big on mm. efforts. Nobody wants to spend more time than necessary utilizing your product. So you want to ensure they are using the least efforts to achieve the most outcome. A lot of training went into that. So when you change your process, you have to also ensure you're training people about that process. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the training parts and then managing change. Yes. So once you introduce a new product, a lot of the in, in, in-house in staff will usually just adopt it because it's a new product. The moment you try to change that product, you begin to see people pushing back. In most cases, change, that's change is because you realize that there are easier ways for people to do these things. People are always going to fight that change. So you need to be able to manage that change and tell them, uh, make them buy into that change and understand that the change is for their own good. Interesting. Now, I, I'm hearing change. And, yep. and one of the themes of the Playground project is pivoting. So apart from, you know, moving from one job to the other, how long, how have you pivoted in your life? Okay, I'll say one of the major things that... I realized is from change. People would always fight what they do not know. Mm -hmm. So I will say one of the things I have decided in life and one thing that keeps helping me is if I don't know it, I try to research about it, get to understand it, get to know Mm -hmm. it more. In the process of getting to know it more, I would come to understand it and have a better view of it. So Most times I tell people that instead of fighting that change, embrace it, learn from it. There's no change that is not not an opportunity to gather more or learn more or gain Mm -hmm. more insight into something. So you need to be deliberate about wanting to learn more about change. They keep saying change is the only thing in life that is constant. And Mm -hmm. the worst mistake you can make is stick to your guns and stay in one place and you Mm -hmm. allow the train leave you behind. Catching up is one of the worst things that can happen to you. Yeah, I'm getting this vibe from you that you're a very deliberate man. I try to be. Mm -hmm. I respect that and I appreciate that. And I shall try to channel my inner Rocky and be more deliberate and intentional about things. Yes, yes. I like the and way you use the channel in the inner rocky. I think I need to write that down. There you go. It's it's true. I mean, but I mean, there you were. You were in Nigeria, and he, yes. now we're here. So there is a pretty big pivot. Yeah, and um, I think I spent a year in the UK. Was a year? Yes, spent a year in the UK trying to learn cultures. Got an MSc in operations management and. My one year in the UK, I basically spent it trying to learn new things. Learn, Mm -hmm. learn, learn. So Hmm. I would imagine that there was uh, school stuff, academic training, but I would think that it would be a pretty big culture shock going from Nigeria to the UK. 
Yeah, it was. There were quite a lot of things that were different. There were lots of surprising activities. There were there were like basic things that you would expect and then you realize people view them differently. Being able to relate with people from a different background and so one of the things that shocked me the most about the UK is so in Nigeria you you would stay in the building and you walk into an elevator with someone you would basically just say, hi, good morning, or exchange pleasantries, even if you don't know the person. Mm-hmm. In the UK, when you do some of those things, they look at you like, um, is this person weird? Okay. And then the litmus test. What is what is Canada like? Is it more like Nigeria if, when in, an, in an elevator? Or is it more... Okay, like- so um, I think Canada is... That's bridging between the UK and Nigeria. It's more like the people are friendly. You walk into an elevator and if you say hi to the next person, the person would most likely respond to you. But unlike Nigeria, where you could say hi and start a conversation, in Canada, it gets to that. Um, you say hi, the person responds, you guys exchange a smile and then it stops there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. You don't take it beyond the normal level. You don't get too personal and um, and you guys are not total strangers. So it's in between. Interesting. So there you are. You're in the UK. You're absorbing everything like a little sponge. And how then do you get here? Okay, so I think Canada was the end goal um, when I was planning to leave Nigeria from the get-go. Mm. Yeah. Um, it was supposed, it was Canada, but at that point, um, the whole PR process was taking so long. I mm. just wanted to experience something new. Sure. So I went to the UK. It was supposed to be a one-year MSc program. And I think the UK was also offering a post-study route. So I attempted the UK and said, okay, if Canada comes through, I'll move mm. on. If it doesn't come true, I'll stay in the UK. And um, I think sometime last year, I got to the ITA to come to Canada. And by March, my PR was out. And immediately after my MSc in June, I'm here. Hmm. So when was that? Like, when did you get here? Um, I think I came here. I came to Canada on the 31st of May. Like a few months ago. Yes, a few months ago. For goodness sake. Wow. So then you've experienced the wildfire smoke? Yeah, I think when I just came, um, I think the week I came was when the wildfire smoke was up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although I was in, I was where I was, it wasn't really, you really couldn't feel the smoke that much. It's just when you come out, you see that the there's some carbon in the air and all that, but it wasn't that bad. Well, that's good. Now, it was also very, very hot. Yes. Let's compare Nigerian climate with the heat that it was this summer, because I felt it was, it, it just, it, it wasn't comfortable going out. Like I much rather stayed inside. What is the the temperature, the climate like compared to Nigeria? Okay, so I would say when you said the weather was hot, mm. I think that would have been a normal sunny day in Nigeria. Same level of humidity? Yes. Huh. 
be a normal sunny day in Nigeria. And so I think last year and earlier this year, the UK was having heat waves. And mm-hmm. I would say it was that was the same temperature um, we had in the UK. So it wasn't really out of the ordinary or something. Okay. The cold, on the other hand, I think um, <laughs> will we'll, we'll take some getting used to. Yes, it does. It does. And my advice to you is that fashion gets ignored and it's all about function. So exactly. wear whatever it takes to be warm, wear layers. Okay. So, uh, yes, this is this is big. So long underwear, Rocky is very important because if you wear jeans or just in general pants and they're not thick it's going to go right on like your legs are going to freeze okay so always wear layers i i certainly do in winter time and i enjoy a nice pair of, of snow pants okay mm-hmm. so, and so I, I knew i was going to learn something <laughs> But, you know, and here's what our lovely colleague Anu has said about the different seasons and stuff. Just appreciate them. And and honestly, that is really helpful because when you're jaded and bitter about the cold, it's nice to have the perspective of, oh, look, it's beautiful. It's wonderful to walk in the snow. And it really is lovely. So and so but here you are. And this is your first position here in Canada. Yes. How was it finding that? How was your journey? I was sending out applications, sending out my resume and applying to quite a lot of jobs. I wasn't getting any feedback. Mm. And then I attended the World Skills SSEI event, went through the cohort and realized I was doing quite a lot of things that were off points. With that, I knew I had to do like a reset. I had to review my resume and approach the whole job application from a different angle. Somewhere along the line, I realized World Skills was also hiring. And I spoke to, I think I spoke to Fatima in one of the events. And Fatima said, Oh, send in your resume and apply to the role that you would like. How do you feel? Is it a good fit? Yeah, it's a good fit. It's that's um, a lot suited to what I want. It's helping me expand my my reach. Mm. It certainly feels, from my perspective, that it's a great fit because you are doing so much and you have that ability to kind of make information, data information, more accessible. And less intimidating. Well, um, I think it's a collective effort. Everyone is putting in their bit. And mm. I'll re- I really, really appreciate the team because the team has been really helpful. The team has been um, there to help me grow on the role and um, help me better understand what the whole process is like. And it's a fantastic program. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so my my last question for you is, you know, I love quotes. I love motivational quotes. I'm wondering, do you have one or or maybe words that you live by? 
The one I'll say I live by is um, the golden rule. Do unto others what you expect them to do to you. I expect people to treat me really well. So because of that, I am deliberate about trying to treat people I come across well. That's like the basic foundation on which I live my life. And whatever interaction I'm inter- I have with anyone, I know that the same way I treat you is the same way you should treat me. I just feel when I do that, even if you don't treat me that same way, I think somewhere, somehow, someone is going to pay it forward. I like that. All right, Rocky. I appreciate you. And I really thank you for coming on to the playground with us today and sharing your story and making this playground a very international one where people are getting to hear from people who've moved to Canada from all over the world. And, you know, people might be listening to this. They've never talked to anybody from Nigeria. And now they're getting some insights into what school is like, into what this worry place was like, and your journey here. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time and chatting. Thank you, Sonia, for having me. Thank you so much, Rocky, for sharing your career and life journey with me, with us today on the playground. Getting to work with Rocky with the Empowering Newcomer Women ENW program at World Skills is a joy. He is kind, thoughtful, and really knows his stuff. Rocky grew up and went to school in Nigeria and shared his appreciation of boarding school and his town of Wari. We learned of his journey to university and what his career was like after he graduated. We spoke about the value of having an effective teacher and the significance of being in the right headspace when it comes to making decisions. Decisions like making a pivot, like coming to Canada. And as it is Rocky's first Ottawa winter, I could not help but give him some cold-weather fashion advice. He lives by the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Deliberate, analytical, and with a strong dedication to providing exceptional customer service. I am really glad he found his first job in Canada at World Skills. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, Rocky, and sharing your story. Please join me and my fabulous mystery guest on next week's episode. And if you have not yet connected with me on Instagram, please follow me at PuddleJumpCoaching001. Remember, if you are looking to adopt a wonderful dog, please check out Bark, that's Bytown Association of Rescued Canines, Bark Ottawa, to see which beautiful souls may be ready for adoption on their website. Until next time, please be good to yourself, to others, and to the planet. See you next week, when we will jump into the future together.